Hi everyone, and welcome to the 164th episode of Kingdom Hearts Union. I'm your host Brandon, and I'm here with Churro! Hi guys. Churro, you're back! Yep, I'm back. Um, and as, to confirm, Churro, have you beaten Kingdom Hearts 3? Yes, I did. So it seems like you definitely enjoyed it. We'll get into more detail a- a- as we go along, but uh, yeah, it should be an interesting discussion. Anyway, for you new folks... Kingdom Hearts Union is part of the podcast series called Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union and is presented by the Gaming Union Network. We release every Tuesday, rotating each week with Final Fantasy Union, and we come out on the iTunes store, KingdomHeartsUnion.com, and Kingdom Hearts Union's Twitter, which is at KHUnion. We have a two-segment show today. Our first segment will be the Kingdom Hearts 3 discussion segment, part two. Uh In this segment, we're going to talk about... Toy Box and Kingdom of Corona, which will be the Toy Story and the uh, uh, Tangled World. And then finally, we'll have our question segments. In the way of announcements, as always, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash FFKHUnion. And our Patreon executive producers for this episode are as follows. We have Blue Machine, who's at Blue Machine. Joseph Robertson, who's at Pokemon Trainer J. Louis James. Keith Field, who's at The Mighty Keith. Nahika Blaui, Billy Jackson, who's at underscore Billy Jackson, Barry Norton, who's at Nortron Zero, Mike, Chris Morales, Ishbel Ayala, who's at Red Peppers, Eric Decker, who's at Chaco Taco, Fidanitas, Alex Troutman, who's at Akira Namjin, Michael Graham, and sure, if you can take these last ones. We got Rob Porter at ScoreTeeper T1, Thorn Bolin at Massacre23, Tobias Kepi at the Tobias Kepi. Zach Toronto at ZToronto58, Toy Patrick, Chris Pope at DrPope181, Miles Ribbons, Muhammad Quam, David Calro, Moki Sayasith at Mokimon S, Rachel Casterston at Ubra Yun Ray, Mike Shirley Donnelly at Curious Quail, Zelda Clone at Apes Type Novels, and Darren Matthews at Doomster73. And be a part of the show. Send us your questions to khuquestions at gmail.com. The deep dive stream will continue on with Kingdom Hearts 3, and that is going to be at twitch.tv slash khunion. The next Kingdom Hearts 3 stream will be February 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern time. On the next stream, we're going to finish Twilight Town and then do... Some of Toy Story, maybe. I don't know if all of Toy Story, but at least some of it. Because, man, Toy Story is a long world. So, anyway, moving on to our Kingdom Hearts 3 discussion part 2! Alright. So, first thing uh, that uh, happens in this segment of the game is we get an interesting cutscene. And actually, it was a bit of a surprise to me, but um, yeah, it's uh, Kyrie and Axel. They've gone to this uh, secret realm, this uh, secret woods kind of area that uh, Merlin has sent them to. It's kind of like the hyperbolic time chamber from Dragon Ball Z. There you where... go. <laughs> That's basically what it is, but it's a forest area. And uh, yeah, it looks really beautiful. And wow, hey, it's all full CG. <laughs> Whoa, that's surprising. So Churro, what, what did you think of this cutscene when uh, when you first saw it? What was your reaction to it? I was like, um, I think it was just like, whoa, hey, you know, 
it's shifting the story now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, bam, just like suddenly. Because like, it, it literally starts playing once you leave Twilight Town. Like, you don't even get to the world map of the gummy ship. You just, bam, it's the cutscene. Yeah, it's, it kind of, it really does change that pace because it's like, you're not expecting it. And if you're not paying attention, you could miss like, yeah. like something, you know, important or you can miss, you know, something set between the two because they are training together. Yeah, exactly. It, so yeah, it was really really cool uh, to be uh, surprised with that. Uh, something that uh, really surprised me, and we'll get to talk about it a lot during uh, this discussion today because of all the worlds uh, present here. But I, I'm just so surprised coming into Kingdom Hearts three how much CGI cutscenes there are in Kingdom Hearts three because in the past. We just got the ending and the opening, and that was it. And and I thought that would just be how it is forever. And like, and recently it's been even less than that. We would just get the opening, like Birth by Sleep. Just the opening was CG, and the same with uh, Dream Drop Distance. Only the opening was CG. The endings were not CG. So having Kingdom Hearts three, and it's just like, bam, CG cutscene, bam, really beautiful in-game cutscene that might as well have been CG. And then, bam, here's another CG cutscene. It's, like, so beautiful. So, yeah, this Kyrie and uh, Axel cutscene was one of the first of those. Uh, one thing that I will just uh, point out here, real quick technical note, is that, uh, wow, aren't those trees and isn't that grass and all that foliage really beautiful? Isn't it great that they got that speed tree license? Because, right. yeah, speed, speed tree is this, uh, it's, like, middleware that you can make trees really, really fast and grass and other kinds of foliage that world is basically welcome to speed tree world that's basically it and yeah uh if you guys were wondering speed tree is not just a uh it's not just for making trees or grass or whatever for games uh you can use it to make trees grass whatever kind of foliage it's also used in movies like uh if you look at um whatchamacallit uh if you go on YouTube and like search speed tree and see their uh, portfolio and like their demo reel of all the, like it shows all the movies they've been in. And it basically any movie that's out that has a tree in it, probably that tree is CG and probably it was made in speed tree. Like they had Jurassic park. uh, uh, They had Jurassic world. All the trees there were fake Uh, rogue one. All the trees in rogue one were fake. Like, uh warcraft like tons of movies so don't don't think that if it has speed tree it's just for making trees for the game and grass for the game it's for the cg cutscenes too so yeah that's speed tree land uh but yeah the uh cutscene uh pretty interesting Kyrie and axel chit-chatting around and uh Kyrie has an interesting and kind of disappointing conversation topic there that she's she's talking about this wonderful her wonderful experience and how she's growing and how she wants to fight for Sora and then Axel's like so you writing a letter to Sora and she's like well yeah kinda well, you gonna you gonna send that to him no well we could tell Merlin like he, he could send it he's magic you know and she's like nope I, I, I just like talking to him on paper that's kind of awkward I mean not just not just awkward, but also frustrating. And I'm just like, Namora, do you understand how long we've been waiting? 
Why you gotta do this? You know why? Why you gotta like hold us back like this? I know. He just like uh, when it comes to romance stuff, it's just like, oh man, this is painful. Yeah. So this scene just is the beginning of the pain when it comes to that sort of stuff. But uh, overall, really beautiful. And I just want to say, shout out to whoever called it because I remember on Twitter they called what this scene was going to be about, you know, with Axel seeing Kyrie and like looking at her and like being like, like trying to figure out what he's not remembering. And then he like sees a vision and sees Shion's face on Kyrie. And then he starts to cry and he doesn't quite understand what he's seen. Like I straight up saw somebody call that on Twitter and I was like, damn, like a few months ago. It's kind of nice to go back and see what people called out and see if they're true or not. Yeah. So, I really like that. So uh, the moral of the story is: forget Kyrie, shut up, Kyrie. No, nobody cares what you have to say in this cutscene. It's all about Axel's experience, and I, I, I feel for Axel. So yeah, overall, very beautiful cutscene. Then moving on, toy box. Oh my god! Speaking of beautiful cutscenes, <laughs> so I, I got to talk about it at length uh, in in the last podcast in the spoiler cast we're not going to get in, into too much depth but we will talk about what it was like first experiencing this and i'll just say for me like i had to do a double take because the opening cutscene for this i had instinctively thought i was watching like a youtube ad for a second because i'm just so used to watching youtube on my tv and when an ad comes up i'm so used to like grab my remote hit skip ad but then i realized for a second wait i'm playing a video game what is this? Namora, are you crazy, man? Why did you make this beautiful multi-bajillion dollar cutscene just to start off Toy Story? Uh, Turo, what was your first reaction when you first saw that that cutscene? I didn't see it coming. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, what is this? And, you know, it's like, am I, is, is this Final Fantasy Versus? Yeah, that's, like, that's like, what it looks like. like. like Namora finally snap and say hey i'm gonna put you know some versus hints inside this commercial and let's just give it a whirl yeah there's a lot of them but uh yeah this is that was just really surprising for me and just just to confirm so you you had played at the preview event the toy story level Mm -hmm. the demo definitely it didn't have the cg in it at all did it I don't think so. Like I think yeah. I think the when you start it, it doesn't even it didn't have that cutscene. Yeah, it just skips straight to the in game uh cutscene in sh- Andy's room. It skips room. to where they're about to, you know, um you know, you have Witty Buzz and Rex and Ham yeah. on the bed about to attack. Because basically it starts off like Sora walking from under, underneath the bed, then he notices yeah. he's a toy, and then it goes into, you know, Woody Buzz, Ham and Rex on the bed trying to sneak attack the yeah yeah we we, we never saw that we never saw that just you know that verum rex cutscene in the premiere no yeah the verum rex part wasn't in there but uh they did have the advertisement for the gigas the gigas part of the commercial was there but that was it but not not they didn't show the commercial it was just that from andy's room it showed oh gigas now on sale whatever whatever and then woody walks over the remote and accidentally turns it off and then rex is like hey i was watching that i, I think that was all that was in the demo I, so I, yeah I that, have to go that back was a big surprise because i have videos of the entire demo. yeah 
Yeah, I I watched the um remember there was that one recording that GameStop GameSpot did they they weren't supposed to do yeah. that they had all those cutscenes. Yeah, so I saw it from there. That that's where it started. So uh so yeah, big surprise r- big surprise opening. But then other than that like the the first part of the world both of us have played it already, you know, Andy's room and uh you know go into the you know galaxy toys and all that we'd already played that so not not a huge surprise and all that yeah for me um, it was like it's like for me it was you know f- more being familiar with what i played at the premier event from yeah you know because you know how in the demo the, like the demos after the premier event started you off yeah. you know in the annie's room going to galaxy toys and yeah and you get the first you know, mid boss fight, then the demo ends. For me, it's like yeah, it goes beyond that. You know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And you, we were able to explore the toy, you know, the levels and the the shops, and you know, I guess all the Dissidia, you know, yep. references. So it, I it think was really for, nice for, going back there and again, yeah, and actually playing the full world this time. Yeah, for me, the I guess the big change uh, from my experience with the demo was just that okay, so now I can relax and like explore. Because when you're on when you're on the show floor, or you know if you if you're playing the demo, you, even at the premiere events, like you know there's you know you got you're under like a time constraint to some extent, so you can't really like explore it how you want to explore it really. So. I felt a lot more relaxed. I can like go look at everything, read all the books on Andy's shelf and like look for lucky emblems and run around on the ball and talk to all the NPCs. And yeah, so that, that aspect of it, I did, I, I did like, uh, so I guess, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about the story in general, uh, for, for the toy box level. So I guess the interesting aspect of Toy Box is that uh, it, it is an original story that is that takes place between Toy Story two and Toy Story three. You know, Andy's still clearly a kid. You know, based on how his room is, but he's not. You know, Toy Story three Andy in college. You know, he's a, still young. It could have happened like right after Toy Story two, for all we know, and. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I guess the the real interesting aspect of it is the fact that it's an original story. So it's not it's not beholden to any of the plots from any of the movies. It, it's able to do its own thing. Uh, and I guess like yeah, the main uh, summary of the the idea is that you know Sora, Donald, and Goofy they show up in Andy's room. Uh, most of the toys in Andy's room have gone missing. Uh, you only have a few toys left over, and we need to go to Galaxy Toys to see if we can rescue any of the toys. We go there. Surprise! Young Xehanort's there, first organization member, and turns out he split the worlds in two. We're in a copy of the Toy Story world, and yeah, the whole adventure is all about, like, trying to to explore galaxy toys see if we can't find you know our our friends and then you know basically get back home which they never end up being able to do unfortunately so sure what did you think about the adventure in this world okay well i was gonna gonna say my question for later but oh yeah yeah going based off that i you know it it was a nice it's a nice change of you know type of story you know looking for lost friends and 
you know, going out your way to find them, to rescue them, you know. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's nice change, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of simple, you know. Yeah, it is very simple. Because considering... Uh, you, you could definitely feel that, um, you know, th- there there may have been quite a few restrictions put on, you know, the Kingdom Hearts team as, as to what they could do in the Toy Story world. You kind of felt that a little bit. Because especially, you know, you know, we... Considering the fact that your Toy Story is going to have a sequel, you know, yeah. so they had to make sure that, you know. It doesn't step on the toes of that at yeah, all. Yeah, they don't change anything that's going to be affecting that. You know, it's, it was kind of mentioned by um, one of the Pixar, you know, artists that on Twitter. Yeah. You know, and that was revealed, you know, and... um so it it's kind of hard to take something that you know like that and create your own for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, so it's like it's. I mean, they they did to me. I they did an okay job for what they had to you know do. I mean, it could yeah. have been a lot worse. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I think I, so I, I played it uh, again, and I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than I did when I first played it. But yeah, it, 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 it was just like, all right, it's a world like for me personally, you know, having just come off of, uh, uh, Olympus and come off of Twilight Town and all the stuff that happened in the story with those two worlds, I kind of felt like, oh, this is like, you know, maybe a little bit less than what I wanted, you know, compared to those ones. For me, I, I kind of liked, uh, Olympus's story a little bit more. It was a lot more actiony you know, for one, like, you know, fighting, but of course, you know, fighting Titans and like running up in a mountain and like fighting with Hercules. And then not only that, but like, uh, I felt the Olympus world had a lot to do with Sora's personal character development. So there was a lot of that in there. Whereas in the toy box world, I didn't feel that much personal character development for Sora there were some there were some moments that were pretty interesting especially some exchanges with um Sora and young Xehanort like there was this one really great one in the uh, video game store uh right before uh y- you know he so he takes over Buzz and then like he, he wants to show Sora pain and he, he's like talking about how he used Sora to uh raise uncertainty between buzz and woody because through this whole thing uh woody's like trying to woody's on board he wants to help out sora donald and goofy and he knows that they can work together and and he's very cooperative but buzz is like very standoffish and doesn't trust them and you know xehanort talks about like oh yeah i used you to promote this because i knew buzz would react this way and eventually buzz was like questioning him so like when all his all these toys are disappearing and they're getting, yeah. you, know, you know, getting possessed by the darkness. And, and he started uh-huh. showing some doubt about himself being possessed by it. And then also, yeah, he's like, when, when you beat the, uh, the, the doll, he's like, what's, what's to say this won't happen to us too. You know, what's to say we, we're not weak enough to be controlled. And he was right. He was able to be controlled. And, uh, yeah, it, it is, uh, interesting talking about pain and loss and stuff like that. And, you know, all of that stuff that, that was, you know, that I, I did like that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, overall the like adventure of it, 
there didn't to me feel like uh there was much of a satisfying adventure in I, it. I felt i felt it was rather unresolving yeah 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 like, it definitely was unresolved because like the whole deal is you, you show up there uh and then it's like okay uh well we lost all the toys and it's like okay gotcha so let's go to galaxy toys and find those toys and then you go through galaxy toys and it turns out uh oh the world is separated and actually all the toys that you brought with you get kidnapped and it's like oh so we got to save them and then the toys that we were going to rescue oh they're just in another world we don't really need to be here so yeah let's let's just find them and go back home and then by and, the end of it, it's like, oh, no, but now we get Buzz. And then, oh, no, now we got to save Buzz. And then we save Buzz. And then at the end of it, it's like, so did, are, are are we good? Are we in the next world? Nope. Do you think if you go home, you'll see Andy? Nope. I guess we'll just wait. And then like the, then, like, the major plot point with Sora is like at the very end when you, after yeah. you, know, you try to strike young Zaynar, but then he, he just, you know, tell Sora, you know, find the hearts inside of yours. And like one sentence after yep. all that. And that's then, it. And then they just leave Sora pondering about it. And then, then you do the, the, you know, the end, the end world boss fight. And then after yeah. that, it's like, Sora doesn't remember what, you know, doesn't mention it until, you know, the next cutscene after you leave the world. Exactly. So yeah, for me, it's like, I, I don't like for me personally, I'm not such a stickler that every single world needs to greatly advance like the main story's plot. I personally don't really care about that. And like uh, I can even let go to some extent that maybe the journey in the world doesn't like have like a satisfying ending. But what I really need is I, I need something like and usually my thing to fall back on with these sort of things is, oh, well, maybe there's like character development that happens for like Sora or for Donald or for Goofy. Maybe through this journey, they learn something about themselves. And I didn't really get that either. So to some extent, like, yeah, the story for this world kind of le- was a letdown for me. Like, yeah, it just felt so unsatisfying. It's like, you know, you go there expecting them to get some answers and in the end they didn't get any they get answers. no answers and they end up technically with less than what they came with and and it, and basically it was really just a big waste Andy. of time they could they could they could have just sat there at home, at Andy's home if Sora hadn't come there and brought them to Galaxy Toys everything probably would have been fine or they could have just went there, left the toys at Andy's house, just gone to Galaxy Toys and fought Xehanort, and everything would have been fine. Yeah. Basically, Sora just made everything worse. For the, at least for that world. Yeah, exactly. So, it's, uh, yeah, story wise, I wasn't such a big, really into it. Now, uh, on the other hand, the, you know, moving on to level design and gameplay, I enjoyed it. Like, as far as playing the world, like, gameplay-wise, I personally enjoyed it. I like Galaxy Toys as an area. I like the fact that it was very seamless. You know, I, I at first, I, I wasn't, you know, really that good at it, but I did like, you know, piloting the Gigas mechs, and, like, that to me was fun. I did enjoy the world. I thought it was a very well-designed area. Uh, what did you think of uh, Galaxy Toys? 
it was it was actually designed pretty good, but at the same time it's also confusing. Uh, base, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's huge. It's open, but mm. like at some points you got to go through like, you know, vents and stuff. And it's, yeah, just, I didn't like the vents. They kind of just kept everything, you know, with, uh, you know, they kind of just not done the vent and just kept everything outside of it. Yeah. I would also say personally, and, and this is also kind of a, a story thing, but I would have preferred maybe having more uh, time at Andy's house, like instead of jumping out the window and going through the front yard, why not leave Andy's room and then go through Andy's house and have a little bit of an adventure in Andy's house and then go to galaxy toys. Maybe something, maybe you go there, like go to Andy's room or, or, or like maybe you help the toys leave Andy's room to go into the house to see if maybe the toys are somewhere else. And then maybe Xehanort appears there and captures, you know, uh, Rex and ham and maybe the soldiers or the aliens or whatever. And then s- somehow they're led to galaxy toys after that. Like they're going there to rescue, uh, Rex and ham and the soldiers, at least if they did something more like that, maybe that would have bolstered the story. And you got some chance to play around in Andy's house, which I would have appreciated, but that's just me. So I don't know. But yeah, as far as, you know, you were saying, yeah, I really liked the level design. Uh, what did you think about the uh, the Gigas mechs? Did you like playing as those? I mean, it has, I mean, really, it's it's just, they're just there to really, you know, kind of like fit the whole toys feeling. Yeah. And like to me, it's like, I just use them to deal damage and then move on. It's like, I don't, yeah. most of the time I just did my own fighting, you know, on you know, on my own without the gigas. Like I only use them if I really needed to use them. Yeah. And it's like it's a it's a nice set to there. But at the same time I hated, you know, the fact that you were forced to go through Vamrex with it, you know. Oh. Well f- for me I guess for the first time I didn't like the Gigases as much, but my second time playing this I enjoyed the Gigases more and I understood their mechanics a lot more. So, yeah, doing the Verimrex, uh mini game thing was a lot easier, you know, once I got more of a handle of it. I think that's what I need to do, do a second playthrough. I mean, I'm already planning on it, but, like, right now I'm still trying to finish my first playthrough. So maybe a second yeah, playthrough will maybe appreciate them a little bit more. Yeah. I guess, like, the, the main thing I would say as, like, a slight gameplay tip is, like, uh, just be relentless with the, with the Gigas Max. It's like... You know, like personally, my favorite uh, mechs are the blue one and the purple one. I hate the red one. The red one is useless. Actually, I, that, I I find the red one my favorite one. The shoulder tackle I just, does a lot. Of I damage. hate the sh- I hate the shoulder tackle. I like the exploders and the cannons. But e- either way, uh, the the way I usually tend to be relentless is you know obviously pepper them. You know shoot 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 your guns at the at the other mechs as fast as possible and then keep your distance while doing that (coughs) charge up your special attack shoot your exploders or your cannon and once you get them knocked down then uh do a danger dash which is like your dash forward dash right into them and just start punching them like crazy punch them on the ground do not let them get up do not do not let them get anything on you just keep punching punching even if they're on the ground it's basically fight dirty if you do that, you will beat all of them. Do not fight with honor. Fight dirty. That's well, that, my that's what main I recommendation. Do. Like, like when I was doing the the Varen Rex 
section. Yep. Um, I would always go for the shoulder tackle one because shoulder tackle, to me, it does the most damage out of all of them. Yeah, it, it does the most damage. I just found that um, with the Exploders, it's got a slightly area of effect attack on it, whereas the shoulder tackle is uh, more single target. And uh, in the Verum Rex uh, minigame, there's just a lot of mechs some of those times so i think it's nicer to have maybe a little bit more area of effect but uh yeah i'm sure there's a there's a way to use the shoulder tackle tackle better better that i haven't figured out yet but but also fighting them with the with the with the battle game which is crazy (laughs) oh yeah that that is that is rough so uh so yeah that's uh that's the uh level designing gameplay i guess presentation uh you know what did you think of the uh the overall visuals of it like they're fantastic it's almost like you're you're in literally playing a pixar movie it's amazing it's so beautiful it's just like seeing it like playing the demo at the premiere event was like great enough but like playing the actual finished product is you know yeah it's still great you know you're it's like it's a really giant interactive pixar movie and it's like Definitely. when you go back and watch like Toy Story two or Toy Story three on TV, and you and you uh, play Kingdom Hearts three, and it's like mm-hmm. you look at it and go, "Man, it's just so beautiful, so beautiful, it's amazing." Yeah, there's stuff. Def- I mean, there's some aspects of it that aren't as good as the as the movies, but honestly, there are aspects of the presentation, especially in some of the cutscenes, that are better than a lot of the movies, uh, even Toy Story three, which. I mean, when you really think about it, Toy Story 3 came out in 2010, so it's a little bit older. So, yeah, I'm sure, you know, video game graphics could be better than a movie that, that that's that old, but it's still amazing to think about. I mean, that, it'll, you it'll know, be, a video be, game that you're playing live is as beautiful. It'll be amazing to see what Toy Story 4 yeah. brings to the table in comparison yeah, to Toy 3. Yeah, it definitely looks beautiful. I, I would, I would love to see. I don't know if they will, but I'd love to see some sort of like a an Easter egg to, you know, call out to Kingdom Hearts. That would be amazing to see. In a, they actually mentioned something a movie. like that too. Like I, I think there was uh, IGN did an interview with you know, the uh, Kingdom Hearts three team and about their yeah you know, building you know the worlds in Kingdom Hearts three, and they mentioned like Toy Story to like. You know, they they wrote the story like that for a way that you know Sora and company you know isn't too involved with the characters. But but then I think they said something like, "Oh, so there's a chance that in toys you know future Toy Story movies they can still call out to Sora and company." And they're like, "Yeah." They're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. So uh, yeah, I would say yeah. Presentation for me, same. Um, I I would say just one of my nerdy things that I love so much is the grass outside of Andy's house. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and luscious and thick. And like yesterday when I was playing through it, I was just like running down the street while looking at the grass at a distance to see where it like starts to um, like disappear. It's like, man, I can't make this grass disappear. I can still see it. Even in like, uh, I was playing on Xbox One X and it was like 1440p. I'm looking at this thing from far, far away and I can't see it. The only place where I could consistently get grass to disappear from is if you're standing on the windowsill of Andy's room and you're looking at the house across the street. Over there, that grass disappears. But that's, that grass isn't that important because you can't even interact with it. But other than that, man, just love love the grass. 
Uh, I would say another aspect of presentation that I do want to address that I think is uh, kind of a negative for me is uh, voice acting and just vocal performance in this world, I feel is probably one of the worst in the game, which I hate to say because I think overall, like great actors, but I think... I, I, maybe not the acting or the or, or the performance, but mostly the delivery. And uh, actually, one of the uh, it might be the same Pixar staffer that uh, acted as, as a consultant. Uh, she she was mentioning on Twitter why some of the line delivery is so weird in this world, and she basically said that it's due to the fact that these were all animated in Japanese first, so this is based on Japanese the Japanese performance timing and it works. What works for a Japanese performance in terms of timing doesn't necessarily work that well for English. And then you also have to consider that, uh, and this is something that, um, uh, Bill Farmer and the guy that does, uh, the guy that does Pete's voice and then also Uh, Tigger's voice. Yeah. Jim Cummings. They both commented on this is that this is like the one project that they work on where they are not the first voice actor to touch the project. You know, they're so in a sense, they're not able to act. They have to dub. And this is like, when does when does Bill Farmer ever have to dub Goofy? He never has a dub Goofy. He is Goofy. And, you know, when it comes to American production of animation, what usually happens is the the role or the order of things when it comes to American voice acting is uh they won't animate first. They'll do like an animatic first. They'll make storyboards and they'll make a, like a motion comic version out of the, out of the storyboards. And then based on that, then the character, uh, you know, the voice actors are able to act at their own pace, at their own timing, their own delivery. They get to decide it. And then after the fact, when the animators finally get to animating the scene, they animate the, not just the lips, but the whole performance of the character, how they pose, how they look, their facial expressions, everything about how the character is animated is following after the voice actor. It, you know, it, it, that's the order of things. But in Japan, and especially with this project, uh, Japanese, the way they usually do it, especially for a- anime, is they'll animate first. And then the the voice actors come in and then they then they dub over the animation. And that's how it always is. And... You know, unfortunately for that, you know, these actors may not necessarily be used to doing dubbing, uh, you know, especially like Jim Hanks. I don't think he's ever had to dub in his life. And on top of that, you know, you got the fact that it's using Japanese timing. So everything about it just feels kind of awkward. And that's definitely something if I ever got a chance to talk with, you know, you know, some professional animators you know, that's something I want to know about is because my background is, is mostly in still art. I do have some uh, background in sequential art, but mostly in like comics. But something I want to know is like, what is the best solution for that? Like, how can we resolve that? Because it's not just Kingdom Hearts that has this problem where, you know, how 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 can we make a production pipeline where having you know, English timing and having uh, Japanese timing can both coexist and not be a massive strain on the budget. Because that's the main thing is that they don't want to animate these scenes twice. 
So what they do is they tell the actors to try to match the timing of the Japanese so that all the animators have to change is the lip flaps. And that's all. And even even that much is pretty expensive. So having different timing to scenes can really add a lot. So I, I just wonder if there is a solution. And like so far, I haven't seen it. But maybe if I talk to an animator, maybe they'd have some ideas. But uh, yeah, that that was my main thing is that I just think some of the scenes, especially bu- like Buzz Lightyear, probably one of the worst. Like his voice is great. Like if you didn't tell me that wasn't Tim Allen, sometimes I I wouldn't believe you. I'd be like that sounds like Tim Allen. Voice is great, performing is great, timing is weird. It's like uh one of the best lines for this I think is um when uh he introduces himself to Sora Donald and Goofy. He says, "And I'm oh and and I'm Buzz Lightyear." <laughs> it's like what that pause. <laughs> That pause. What is that pause for? It's because in Japanese, it felt right. It feels right in Japanese. That does not feel right in English, and it feels weird. And, you know, there, there's just every now and then. It, it, it ha- Actually, it happened in the Hercules world, too, which is kind of sad. But, um, you know, every now and then in Kingdom Hearts, in some of these scenes, there'll just be like a one or two second pause that's like, why are you, why are you not saying things? Why, why is this moving so slow? Or like, where's, where's this pause coming from? And there's just be like random pauses out of nowhere. And that's just because like, that's how they deliver it in Japanese. That's just how it works. It works better that way in Japanese, but it just doesn't work in English and it feels really weird and stilted. And it's like, it's almost like you're looking into an alternate dimension or like some bizarro lands. Like, why are you acting so strange? Are you an alien? Are you possessed? Like, that's what it feels like. It's almost like I'm watching like an episode of Rick and Morty and they have that like a uh, parallel universe uh, DVR thing and they're watching TV shows from parallel universes. That's what it feels like to me. Sometimes it's like, man, you just, yeah, you, you sound like Buzz Lightyear, but you, you act like a space alien. What's wrong with you? And, and I don't mean in a good way. Like, it sounds weird. And it's not. It's not the performance. It's the pacing of the dialogue is just weird. So that's something I want to see. I'll just say on record, I have never seen a, a game do what I I want the I want the King Hearts team to do. I've never seen that. I've never seen two different separate performances like timing and everything for you know a given project based on two different regions. I've never seen it even in uh Metal Gear Solid 5 and this was an interesting one. In Metal Gear Solid 5 uh they made English the target voice as opposed to Japanese for the first time in a Metal Gear game. And the reason was is because they were going to, you know, Kojima was hiring uh, real actors for performance capture, namely Kiefer Sutherland. You are not going to make Kiefer Sutherland second banana to anybody. So they may, you know, they suit, suit him up. They record his face and it's his performance, you know? And so it's Kiefer Sutherland's timing. And then Akio Otsuka, the guy who plays solid snake in Japan also plays Ansem. Uh, he has to do the dub for the first time in his career. And it's like, what? So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't want 
any of the versions to play second banana. I wish there was. But a... in this case, it's always going to be Japan first. Yeah. The, the, as as the way things go now, it's always going to be Japan first. I mean, one option that I was thinking of was what if they did like performance capture, but just the face, just facial performance capture. And the performance capture is based on the person in the voice acting booth. And maybe that'll help. But even then, like that, you know, timing isn't just the lip flaps. Timing is also when do they cut to go to the next scene? Because like, you know, you do camera changes in in, in one cut scene and that's based off of, you know, one person will be talking and then they do a camera cut to the next person that's talking. And that timing, the timing on based on when that happens is based on when that last person finished. So even those have to be changed. And like, I don't know, it's, it's a big subject and it, it is outside of my realm of understanding. So that's why I want to talk to a professional. Moving on from there. So overall, what what do you feel about Toy Story as as you know to the toy box world as a whole? And would you give it a score out of ten? Um, score first, I would probably give okay. it like a, probably a six out of ten. Mm-hmm. Mainly because I'm more disappointed in the story. How it seemed like. It felt just felt you know incomplete to me, like it felt yeah. like at the end of it, he, nothing was resolved, and it basically like you brought up earlier that you got to change the way it happened. It still would have came up the same way. Yeah, there wasn't exactly. really much development on you know Sora's part of it. Yeah, you know so but and then I'm going through presentation. You know it's very beautiful. Level design is, you know, is nice, but they they could have changed it up a little bit. The gameplay for it is still good. The the mechs added a little bit of, you know, depth to the combat, which is always, yeah. you know, welcome. But other than that, to me, I feel kind of disappointed with it. Yeah, I would say for me, maybe I think if if I had gone based on my just my first run through it, I would probably be the same as you. But I think mine goes up just a little bit to 7 out of 10. But mostly just because I've played through it again and I saw more of it that I liked than than, than I had previously remembered. I think also part of it was maybe during my first run, I got lost a couple of times. But now that I know my way around Galaxy Toys, it was a lot more of a smooth run through. Uh, and I think also <laughs> it was kind of like... I don't know. This might be kind of a critique against Lucky Emblems, but I think in my first run, I was so focused on, oh my God, I need to find Lucky Emblems. Where are the Lucky Emblems? I was so worried about that and not being able to find them in Toy Box. Like some of them are really hard to find. And, but now, now that I know where all of them are, I just like, bam, bam, bam. I'm slide dashing all over the place. Bam, over here, snapshot. Bam, over here, snapshot. Bam, over here, snapshot. I I had all of them before the world was done. So it was smooth sailing and I had a much more pleasant time. So I don't know, maybe maybe the maybe the one of the bigger problems for me was lucky emblems. Maybe lucky emblems are a problem, Churro. I don't know. It's a problem for everybody apparently now. Yeah, yeah problem for everyone, exactly. So uh yeah, uh if I yeah, so uh, like I said, out of ten, seven out of ten. All right, so moving on from there, we're going to go to the Kingdom of Corona, a uh, world based on Tangled. 
this is also one of the earlier worlds that was announced all the way back in 2015. I remember being with you, Churro, in the hall at uh, in uh, LACC, yeah, in uh, at E3 2015, and just, screaming like just, crazy maniacs there, huddle around my iPad, just watched, or was it your it was tablet? My tablet, yeah, it was your my tablet. Galaxy tab, exactly. And yeah, it was just, it was crazy. We were screaming. Everybody was looking at us, but we didn't care. It was a great experience. That's, that's one of my favorite memories of uh, E3. So, uh, yeah. So, so Kingdom of Corona. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the general idea with Kingdom of Corona. I think the interesting contrast between this world and the Toy Box world is that Toy Box is very much, this is an original story set in the Toy Story universe, whereas Kingdom of Corona is not an original story. This story is based on the movie. So this is this is one of those worlds where Sora is injected into the plot of the movie. So that's that's definitely a very different take on the uh, concept of a Kingdom Hearts world. I think you know those are like the two main archetypes is. Either it's an original story that takes place in the world, or it's a uh, world where Sora is injected into the same storyline as the movie. And that's what we have here. Uh, so yeah, kicks off. I, one of my favorite cutscenes, is this is like the unsung cutscene, is the first cutscene of this world. It's just Sora, Donald, and Goofy. They're walking through the forest, real chill. Sora's got his hand behind his head. Like, Goofy looks up at the sun, and in first person, we see Goofy's hand, and he, like, blocks out the sunlight, and it's such a chill atmosphere. So nice. Like, that cutscene to me, just already, I'm like, oh, man, already I love this world. I just love the vibes. The vibes of it feel so nice. So that, that to me, was really nice. And then, yeah, right in that cutscene, it, it, it's pretty funny but like i just hope there's no heartless around and then flynn rider just bolting through is like oh run away and then what is it oh it's heartless Yeah, but as expected as expected uh this this world kind of like makes me think of um it kind of reminds me of the animated series pilot that uh seth kearsley made I remember his directive for making that pilot was imagine this is episode seven of the series. All the main plot is introduced and you're just getting right into it and everybody knows each other and just get into it. That's kind of what this feels like. This feels like that kind of a thing. It's in the middle of the story, which, you know, it kind of is middle of the beginning. It's in the middle of the story, just gets right into it. Everybody knows everybody. Just bam, here you are. You know, this is just a day in the life in the middle of the journey. And, like, it captures that so perfectly. And I loved it. Loved the vibes. Um, so, yeah, that was good. Fight the Heartless. And then there's that really uh, funny cutscene of... So, they're like, looking for where Flynn Rider went after they beat the Heartless. And then they find the the little wall of vines that, you know, has the secret passage there. And Sora just, like, falls through. It's like, Sora, you big dumb idiot. And then they're like, oh, where's Sora? He disappeared too. And then Sora like yells from inside. Now, the only thing I don't like about the cutscene following after, and I think this world has a little bit of this problem 
is what I like to call Lion King-itis. And what I mean by that is Lion King sound design-itis, as in some cutscenes, for whatever reason, just don't have music in it. So the cutscene of Sora after he's fallen through and he walks into like the little canyon area where the tower is and he looks up at the tower none of that has any music no music whatsoever and then once you get into the into the tower and then you have the main cutscene with Rapunzel interrogating Flynn Rider and he's he's all wrapped up in her hair and he you know sitting on the chair and then like you know uh Pascal sits on his shoulder and like licks his tongue in his ear and whatever like all of that stuff that whole cutscene no music and just feels really awkward and then just to be sure i actually have tangled downloaded on my phone i went there and watched that specific scene there is music through the whole scene that whole scene has music but it's not like kingdom hearts music where it's like incidental music or or it's not theme music that just repeats 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 it's incidental music where the music kind of follows the action so it'll be like you know if something you know if someone's talking and they're like leading up it'll be like and then like if something funny happens the music goes away and like the music follows the action like it's definitely very different it's cinematic music you know stuff that kingdom hearts never does well it does it a little bit in this in this game but not not so much in the past so that's my one big gripe is anytime there's a cutscene like that where it's like this is supposed to be a really powerful scene or a funny scene and then just no music whatsoever barely any sound design like sound is definitely one area of kingdom hearts development that i feel really needs to you know be rethought in the future like music is great kingdom hearts has amazing music but there's definitely some times where it's just like not enough music in the game or the sound effects in it are kind of weak it's and kinda like, it like just the, like the trailers leading up to exactly the exactly it was it's exactly i'm glad you brought that up because it was very much the same thing with the trailers where a lot of the trailers that we were seeing that had the utada hikaru music there would be no sound effects and it's just voice acting and it feels really like sterile and kind of weird and like not grounded at all. And it, it sounds like a voice actor in a booth. So yeah, sound is definitely a side of kingdom hearts that I know it can be done well. And sometimes they do do it well, but cutscene sound design in kingdom hearts three is very hit and miss. I will say though, in gameplay, Sound design's great. Sounds awesome. So many cool sound effects, explosions going off, and like birds chirping and wind going by, and sometimes there's echoes. Like the sound design in the gameplay is awesome. Where is it in the cutscenes? Not great. And the reason I know they can do it is, you know, I know I bring it up all the time, but deep dive. Oh my god, deep dive, and specifically not deep dive, but another side, another story. If you remember back that cutscene, that cutscene has the coolest sound effects ever. If you guys don't remember, go go online, go on YouTube, look for Kingdom Hearts, Another Side, Another Story, watch that, listen to the sound effects, then go watch Deep Dive. But man, the sound design is so awesome in that. 
why don't they have cool sound design all the time? I know it's probably expensive and, you know, maybe they just didn't have time, but that's one side of Kingdom Hearts that I feel is really lacking is sound design. And it's just so sad because they have so much good music and it's just like sometimes it's not used well enough or like, like to some extent, I wouldn't even be mad if they like went back and copy pasted music from older games. Like reuse music if you have to it's not like we don't have enough music in the whole franchise like copy paste man use some stuff from dream drop distance that doesn't get enough play anyway like just make sure that if if there's a scene that's just awkwardly silent like fix it like even if you can't do proper like sound effects for a scene like if you can't then like throw in some music steal it from old games if you have to like man it's just so disappointing because otherwise i do really love the the story of this world so uh like i said before it generally follows the plot of the movie you know rapunzel leaves her tower goes on an adventure she wants to see the lights that always appear on her birthday in the uh in the city it it comes to her knowledge that uh, oh, oh, and then, and then you know once she sees the lights she uh you know flynn rider goes away maybe somehow and then mother gothel brings her back home to the tower turns out oh i'm the princess that the lights are made for whatever and you know it's the same movie the story or or, same story as the movie that's the right order so uh churro what did you think of the kingdom hearts version of the story how well do you feel you know sora donald and goofy were integrated i guess that's two questions First question, how well do you think Sora, Donald, and Goofy were integrated into the adventure? And then second question, how well do you think the story of Tangled was covered in the movie? So yeah, first question, how well was Sora, Donald, and Goofy put into the movie? I think they were, you know, well done, you know. It's Mm kind of like there was no need for, like, you know, the whole protect the world order you know, speech that Donald gives. Yeah. Some of the world is more like they're there, you know, they like, you know, they like what they see where they landed, you know, and then all of a sudden that piece is interrupted. It's like, okay, do you need to have a heartless attack too? You know, and then from there, you know, I like the, how Flynn kind of like tells Rapunzel that these are my psychics. Yeah. Despite them looking all really goofy. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah, you know, and literally like, having talking animals. Yes, yeah, talking animals and a kid with spiky hair with who can summon a magical key. Yeah, you know, but you know, it's like I just liked how I just like these are my psychics, and then they even played on that by, you know, Flynn kind of like p- pulling Sora to the side, Donald and Goofy to the side, and kind of like telling him, "Hey, I kind of need this," and yeah, Sora goes along with it. You know, so it's like I love I love that interaction between them. It makes them yeah. seem like same. They're you know already a unit you know exactly yeah that yeah that that aspect definitely felt good yeah i I overall felt that overall their involvement in the story felt good yeah they didn't seem like they were forced to be there they didn't seem like out of place you know didn't seem like kind of like a like a fanficy type of moment it's almost like they were they were just like eased right into the story exactly the only thing that i could have done with a little more of though would be i want to i would want just a little bit more to see what 
their what's in it for them other than protecting Rapunzel? Like, because obviously, you know, they're heroes and stuff like that. So they're going to they're going to help. But I would have liked it just a little bit for there to be some sort of aspect of their adventure to be more integrated. You know, we only really got that when the nobodies appear and then they see Marluxia. Then it kind of like, OK, now it makes sense that they're here a little bit because Marluxia's here, I guess. But at no point did it feel like we were going after Marluxia. We yeah, weren't. And, and then also the thing is, is that it's not like, I mean, I'm maybe jumping the gun, but like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, I'm just going to mention this. They did, If they kind of did what they did with with Arendelle. Yeah, tangled. Then it would have given a bigger sense of purpose. Yes, I, but, I definitely agree with you there. We'll we'll talk about it more when we get there. But yeah, yeah I definitely. I just wanted agree. to say that part without actually getting too yeah, far yeah, into yeah. that. So, but because it just it just seemed that Rapunzel was just you know somebody important without be telling them that she was important because you know one of the. Uh, aspects of the story of you know going into the second question of the story of Tangled is that you know we as the audience know that her how important her hair is yeah you know and what what it can do but the thing is is that only she knows what it can do whereas you know Flynn doesn't and then you know same with Sora Donald and Goofy exactly so basically their only motivation is what Flynn tells them that Rapunzel wants to see the lantern you know Exactly. By, you know, by tomorrow. So it's like, I guess, that's the only motivation. I guess if it, if it was, you know, if it was up to me and I could, like, say something that could maybe add to it to make Sora's and Sora Donald Goofy's involvement been better, I, I don't know. The only thing I could think of is maybe there's something in that castle area that, that you know, something in the main town. Maybe there's something there that Sora, Donald, and Goofy want to get, and, like, they their adventure would have led them there, and it's like, oh, why don't we go together? I think maybe something like that would have helped it along better for me, because I feel like by the time they got to the town, there's plenty of plot there that ties Sora, Donald, Goofy with uh, Flynn and Rapunzel. I don't think it needs help there. I think it needs help more in the beginning, and why are they going on this journey to the town? You know, it it would have been nice if there was like something a little bit more in it for them to go to the town, but yeah, other than that, like, yeah, they, I felt they were well integrated. Um, I guess getting on uh, to what you're talking about with the whole hair thing and talking about how well does this world cover the movie, and I guess like you know, on the whole, it does well. I mean, straight up like animation data is taken from the movie. So many of the cutscenes are using animation data from the movie, you know, applied to the kingdom hearts models, but still it's, you know, a lot of the scenes play out almost exactly like they do in the movie, you know, sometimes a little bit fast forwarded, so to speak, but you know, more or less cover the same stories that, that aspect of it is nice. I believe I do like that. A lot of the cutscenes are like straight up. This is right out of the movie. And, it, and like, it's amazing. Like, sometimes it looks like it's just, like, from the movie. But um, in other aspects, there are parts of the story where it's, like, these are some pretty critical things. And they're just not addressed or skipped over or skipped past or they just never came up. 
like so there's a lot of things like if you have not seen the movie tangled it it will be a lot harder for you to follow this world especially compared to other worlds because there are some big parts of the plot that you need to understand like for one like you're talking about before churro the whole thing with rapunzel's hair rapunzel's hair is magic and is able to heal people and the whole reason mother gothel keeps her locked up in that tower is because she's this old uh witch that needs to stay young forever and she basically brushes rapunzel's hair as rapunzel sings this song and that generates the power in her hair and that gives her you know everlasting youth And that's the whole thing. And if you don't know that, you don't get why Mother Gothel keeps her up in that tower. Uh, In addition, it completely uh, doesn't make sense. Why does Flint cut her hair at the end? What does that have to do with anything? And why does it turn brown at the end? Well, turns out if you cut her hair, which was Mother Gothel's first thing, was that she snuck into her room as when she was still a baby and cut a little piece of her hair and thought that, oh yeah, I don't need to steal the baby. I just need to steal a little bit of her hair and I'll go back and I'll just use this hair forever to keep me young. I don't need to bother the girl. But then turns out, cut the hair. Once it's separated from the child, it turns brown and it's completely useless. So nope, got to take the baby. So that was part of it. So that's why Flynn cuts her hair. So like there's a lot of stuff in there that just there are major plot points that if you haven't seen the movie and didn't get the explanation from the movie you're not going to get it here and like things like uh eugene the fact that flynn's name is eugene like that's not explained in the kingdom hearts thing until the very end like literally in the last cutscene they're like oh yeah i guess i never told you uh my my name's eugene fitzherbert it's like oh thanks and like that's supposed to be a, a, a plot point is that he's this really pl- proud guy you know he goes by the name flynn rider because it sounds cool he doesn't want to go by the name eugene because it doesn't sound cool and in a moment of vulnerability he lets his guard down with rapunzel and lets out his secret that oh my name's eugene and he does and she doesn't laugh at him she thinks it's it's a cute name and it's the first time someone is accepting him as a person. So as far as I'm concerned, that's an important part of his character. Like that's an important part in his character progression and, you know, the romance between Rapunzel and Flynn. That's part of the setup. But, um, you know, so th- there's definitely aspects that I felt could have been improved. And un- I mean, you know, there's only so much time that they can work with. You know, I do understand that they can't cover absolutely everything in the movie. Like they can't be a replacement for the movie. It's just there's not enough budget for that. You know, it, they can't they can't do that. But I, I think there there was definitely some aspects of the plot that were cut out that should not have been cut out. And kind of like what you were saying, Churro, with uh, with Frozen, I felt Frozen. You know, we'll we'll get to it when we get to Frozen. But I think Frozen's movie, like main plot there, I think all of the stuff that I needed to know from that movie was in that world. So I I, like, I feel like tangled and frozen are like two parts of the same coin or like two of the same style of world. And I think the frozen aspect uh, frozen's uh, was probably done better in terms of the integrating the movie better. Um, I kind of feel like Toy Story and Monsters Inc. also have that same relationship where, you know, they're both Pixar worlds. Yeah. One, one, I, one personally I feel was done better, uh, which I think is Monsters Inc. I, I, I was a little bit let down by Toy Story, but, you know, we'll get to that when we get to it. 
But uh, yeah, so that's that's the story o- o- overall. I-, I will say though, everything about it that I just said, it was because I had in I have seen the movie. My my experience through it, my personal experience is very high. I enjoyed it. I my criticism that I'm laying on it now is more that I'm thinking about what other people might have experienced. But because I've seen the movie, I personally had an excellent time with it. This is one of my favorite worlds. I and especially the whole ending segment of from once you get on uh once Flynn has been coming back and he's on Maximus riding Maximus at full speed and Sora Donald and Goofy jump on that point onward. Oh, actually no, even before that, the whole lantern scene. The lantern scene onward amazing love it story-wise so cool lantern scene going after rapunzel going to the tower mother gothel flynn rider rapunzel they have their old thing chop the hair off mother gothel dies turns into a big old heartless fight the heartless all that awesome churro this is going to get into a little bit level design too but what did you think about the middle portion because we 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 talk big game about the beginning of this and we talk and i just talk big game about the ending of this how is the middle portion through the forest i mean it was really it was really detailed (laughs) that's for sure yeah detailed how do you feel about the length was it because for me personally like i get it it's beautiful this is going on too long it felt too long especially like I know they had to include some parts where Rapunzel had to use her hair to swing you across, yeah. you know, yeah, just yeah, for yeah. just for to remind you of, of that, you know. For I guess I guess if it was shorter, then the time with having Rapunzel with long hair would have been like almost nothing. So well, I get it. I mean, I didn't like the fact that when you know the Heartless and nobody started to appear, and then they told you know Flynn and Rapunzel to run. Then you you know then you go through that you know mid that that re, that scripted fight. Then once it's yeah. done, they're like, "Oh, where'd they go?" And then you have to go through like yeah. three, like like two, maybe maps before you like find them yeah, again. Yeah, it takes a long time. Yeah, I kind of feel like around that point there might have been, well, whether or not it was, but it might there might have been something cut from there. But if there wasn't. It feels like there probably should have been like a bigger story moment in the middle there too. Like in the movie, for example, uh, around that point of the movie, that's when they go to the snuggly duckling and they, they have that whole, they meet all the, the ruffians and thugs at the, at the bar there. And then they sing the whole, I have a dream. I have a dream. That whole song. And like, like there's a, pretty neat story moment there and that's how she, uh, mother gothel finds out rapunzel is often about and like or finds out where where she is and stuff like that so there definitely felt like somewhere in that middle part there should have probably been uh, like more of a set piece area because like I, I guess the beginning was like so the beginning set piece is the tower the later set piece is the town and then the final set piece is back at the tower i feel like there should have been a set piece in the middle somewhere in the forest and there it could have been anything from like 
uh could have been the snuggly duckling or could have been the dam bursting like in the movie there they they had stuff like that do you and think, do you think that there should have been maybe a boss fight with marluxia at some point you know what that would have been a great thing <laughs> that would have been probably pretty fun that that could have that could have been the thing like maybe maybe a boss fight with marluxia maybe he's in the dam area and then the dam he makes the dam burst or something i don't know or He's at the Snuggly Duckling, and you fight him there. I and, mean, well, I mean, you have that scene where the store and company are watching the lanterns, and then the nobodies appear again. And you have that scripted yep. fight. That's another place with a scripted fight. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you that could have been another then, place for it. But I would rather have you like confront Marluxia, like, because you know how you know. I mean, they do confront Marluxia after you know. Um, Mother Gothel takes you know Rapunzel back to the tower, but instead yeah, of a, but of a it, fight, you get a cutscene yeah, of him knocking him out. Exactly. And it's that's like it. why, why kind of like use that you know scenario where you could have gone with at least with the boss fight. Yeah, that is. That, that, that to is, me, that uh, just feels like a bad cop out to prevent yeah. a boss fight. Yeah, I guess they they're just trying to save it up so that you know. You know, don't fight me yet. We're not ready for that. There'll, there'll be a time and a place for it, but not now. But, but it just, it just yeah. feels I, I like felt, it just feels. It definitely like felt like yeah, they're like so unnecessary. Exactly. Even though I, he was, I, I he agree. was just he was a plot device to make, you know, sure then make sure the story, you know, of Sora can, you know, moving on with the story and then creating the final boss fight for that world. Agreed. Yeah, I definitely. There, there definitely should have been at least one more. I, I could have done with at least one more boss fight, and especially s- some like I could have also done with another set piece. Like I, I think if you've seen any trailer, this is not a spoiler, but like you know, well, let, let's even talk about Olympus. Olympus had like the sledding seg seg segments with Goofy, mm. like something on that level could have been great for 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 tangled some kind of mini game you know set piece thing you know maybe it's like the dam bursts and then goofy and sora Sor- and goofy are like surfing on the 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 water or something away from the dam burst and then that's maybe how you get separated with rapunzel and flynn or something i don't know or maybe you run away with Flynn and Rapunzel and you don't get separated, but you do have to run away from a bursting dam. I don't know, something like that. But yeah, but you know, it, it, it's a it's a criticism, but I, I would say on the whole, you know, in terms of level design, in, except for the forest, I liked all all the other areas in this world. I like the tower. I like the town. Like to me, I just love the town so much because it's like, oh my god, I get to go to a a Disney town, and it's not just like, it's not like this is the this is the Kingdom Hearts version of the town from Rapunzel. No, this is like, wow, these are like straight up the models from the movie, and like this looks like the movie, and like it's beautiful. And then you get the like, dancing mini game too, as well. Yeah, you got the dancing mini game, and like there's so much like to see and do, and it's like so detailed. And I'm like, whoa, this world is so detailed. Why is it so detailed? Oh wait, it's because Disney made it for a movie. Of course, that's why it's so detailed. It's like, dang, this is so awesome. So yeah, I'll, I'll just say, 
just you know disclaimer this is one of my favorite worlds i think most of my criticisms of it come you know trying to think a little bit outside of myself and try to think of others and how they might experience with it i personally had a great time with it it's one of my favorite um uh i guess other than that uh presentation wise we kind of got into it uh churro how did you feel about the overall presentation of it it looks great i mean everything from you know the trees the grass rapunzel's hair rapunzel's hair flowing you know moving around the bat you know the you know moving around while she's moving and then yeah that's um, great not only that the scenes with her you know splashing water on her yeah that was fun too that was you know, even though it's a silly little thing, but it's, it was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Those are awesome. And, uh, I'd say one of, one of my favorite, uh, little moments there was, uh, right before you get to the town and you have to like slide through the wildflowers. That part was so awesome. I love that. Oh yeah. That was, Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. You're going to slide down that hill and then. Yeah. And it's just like. It, the thing that I love about the most is you slide down the hill and then instantly, once you're out of the forest, bam, there's the city. It's like, whoa. I, I, I think it's a neat little reward. Yeah, definitely. So that, that's, that's definitely one of my favorite moments in the, in the world. I think the only one that was a little, the only thing that was a little uh, off for me uh, was that when I first played it, I went, uh, when I got into the town, I went straight, forward uh to the dance and then i did the dance and then it goes into the cut scene and then you have the the lantern uh time and then you have your scripted uh fight and then you know it's off back to go to the the tower but then when i revisited the world when i was looking for lucky emblems and i'm like wait there's more of this town it's not just this little hallway what there's all this other area over here too why didn't i get to go here before and it's like oh wait no this was here in the scripted scene but i never really got to explore it before because i was so you know gung-ho to go straight ahead through the story yeah so, that's, that's the one thing that disappointed me because like there was no way to really avoid that <laughs> yeah our, well yeah no no reasonable way uh actually in my second playthrough just to check i i did go to see if if you could go to that part of the town you can you can totally go there it's just that like any normal human being you know you see the dance going ahead you know that's the next thing you got to do so you go straight and you go do that like for most people they're not going to go to that town so but i i understand for for like the pacing of the story i didn't feel bad by it you know in the pacing of the story when i played through it the first time it was just you know kind of uh surprising like when i went back the second time and it's like oh I can go here. I didn't know that. I kind of wish there was something here, but oh well. But uh, yeah, I'd say overall, Churro, what was your general impression? Oh, actually, before we get to that, one last thing I do want to talk about. The final boss of this world, the Mother Gotha Heartless. That is one of my favorite bosses in the game. I love that boss. I just love, you know, her design is so cool. It's like so creepy. And then the, the bushy hair looks like a tree and has like a snake tail and climbs up the tower and like flies around. And then Sora's movement works so well with it. Like the way the keyblade works where, you know, you slash towards her and then Sora's movement like goes towards her. Like that helps so much in like closing the gap and 
one of my favorite moments is uh, at some point she'll jump on top of the tower and you have to chase up to the tower and then run up the tower and then knock her down. And then as she is falling down, and this is not a reaction command. This is using the mechanics of the game purely. No reaction command whatsoever. She's fallen off the tower. If you jump after her, Sora goes into his uh, free dive uh, stance. You know how he like, has his arms out and legs out. He goes into his free dive uh, pose and then it says attack and you can attack her, you know, but this is not like a reaction command. This is the normal like ground attack that you can do. And you can, so you can jump off the tower after her, go after her and then bam, hit her. Oh, that felt so good. That is one of my favorite moments in the whole game. The only so, question what, for me was when they had, the, when she creates the, those barriers, you have to jump oh yeah, the forward, jump back, jump forward. Yeah. Th- th- those are a little annoying, but I don't know. I, I overall, and then, then you got all these so bombs good. everywhere, and that kind of like yep. that first time my 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 first playthrough of that, I was just like, Man. yeah. I guess once you're ready for it, it's definitely a lot more fun. And oh, and I, I will also say, uh, presentation wise, uh, in that area, uh, the lighting in that scene for the final boss is so cool and dramatic. I love the look of it. It's like this cool sunset look. And like most of the most of the canyon is in shadow, but then the the tower alone is being lit by the sun, and it's like this bright orange sun. It looks so cool. Like it, it's like it just takes a little bit of a change to you know change to the lighting, and then bam, it's like the whole scene feels completely different. One of my favorite moments in the game, like in all of Kingdom Hearts three. So, uh, Cheryl, what was your overall impression of Tangled, and then what what would you give it a score out of ten? I thought it was a really well done world. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, it's definitely one of my favorites. You know, I like how I like how I mean, you know, despite you know the the only like negative points was like you know the, the pacing of the story. Yeah, but like everything else is, was really well done. You, it builds, you know, Sora's character of interacting with both Flynn and Rapunzel. Yeah, you know, and like you said, the boss fight was cool. The town was awesome. Getting to the town. Was was a little bit dragging, but yeah. Like, but the re- the payoff sliding down that hill was made it worth it. Oh yeah. So uh, I would I would give it like a nine out of ten. That's what is definitely one of my favorite worlds. That's good. Yeah, I would say yeah, definitely uh, same. One of my favorite worlds. Uh, the middle part dragging did get to me a little bit, so I I won't give it that high of a score, but uh, I'd say like eight and a half, like. I think if maybe the middle part had like something more to it, like just like it would have been nice if there was maybe just some payoff in the middle as well to make, I don't know, sort of hold, hold you over until you get to the town. There is that, that one like horse boss fight thing, that horse like tower heartless thing. Yeah. That was, that was okay, but it, it was so close to where, you finally get to the town anyway, where I felt like I needed something a little bit earlier than that. And even then I didn't think that boss fight was really all that much. I wanted more of a set piece and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they really had that in in kingdom of Corona, but yeah, like, like you said, one of my favorite worlds in the game. So yeah, definitely uh, eight eight and a half out of 10. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much our kingdom hearts three discussion uh, for now. 
Um, let's uh, move on to our question segment. Our uh, question for this episode comes from Derek Johnson, who asks, uh, or who says and asks, uh, hello, I love your podcast, and please forgive me if you've already discussed this in the past, but I want to know your thoughts on Kingdom Hearts games removing the romances from the Disney stories. I honestly never really noticed it until I watched Tangled right before playing the Tangled world in Kingdom Hearts 3, but then I realized they've never shown it. I assume it has something to do with the directors not wanting to watching the game to focus too much on the Disney story and emphasize more on the Kingdom Hearts story. Also, I haven't finished Kingdom Hearts 3, but maybe they don't want to dilute the romance between Sora and Kairi, just predicting. Anyways, keep up the good work. Uh, honestly, romances is not really a strong point in the series it's it's i mean i understand you know about the disney romances but that's those are really not really i don't know i don't know how to word this correctly but Mm -hmm. to me it seems like it's not really the main focal point even though they are the main focal point of the story itself yeah the disney movie yeah. yeah the disney movie but like overall like i don't think they don't want to make it you know, the the important thing about it. it's mainly just taking care of, you know, the heartless or dealing with the organization or protecting the princesses. You know, it's mainly, you know, your typical, I would say, like, show it in story, you know. Yeah. About, like, you know, the the hero saving everybody rather than worrying about romance or anything like that. Yeah. I've never personally felt that they've, like, necessarily shied away from the romances in the Disney movies. Um, but I do feel that on the whole of the Disney plot of the, of the Disney movies, they tend to, you know, skip past a lot of parts of the story. You know, we, we talked about in the, in our summary of the tang in our discussion of the tangled world, you know, there's a lot of parts of that plot that got cut out. It's not just the romance, you know, it's the whole thing with, you know, Rapunzel's hair and why mother Gothel is, you know, holding her in the in the tower, and then who her parents are, and all that. Like, there's there's a ton of parts of the plot that get cut out. It's n- it's not just the romance. And actually, I thought the Tangled World uh, romance uh, did uh, show up quite a lot. Like, it shows up in the um, in the lantern scene in the later part of the world, and then like the whole final cutscene section of uh, of the world it's a it's this crazy cg cutscene that's just like the movie and that but sword and goofy are also there and it's this really touching moment and flynn and rapunzel hug and it's really romantic like they had it like the the romance scene was there so i didn't feel like the it was specifically the romances being attacked or with a pair of scissors you know getting stuff cut out i I think it's just the story in general just gets diluted because it has to be because you know they 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 have to incorporate the kingdom hearts characters and then also they have to you know you know you have to consider they're not just making a tangled world they're making a bunch of games too they're making a bunch of worlds too so they can't focus too much of their efforts on just one world to completely encapsulate the whole story so yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting balance that they have to play, and I think depend. I, I think it also depends on how important is the romance 
to the story. And I think that's going to determine how uh, much of a focus it is. Like, you know, if you go back to Kingdom Hearts 2, Beauty and the Beast, like the romance is an important part of that. So they play it up. They, they put it in a lot. But, you know, you look at uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, it's there. You know, the, the love between Jack and Sally is there, but it's not like a major focus. It's just something that really comes in in the last cutscene where Jack and Sally are dancing together and then Sora looks at them and thinks of Kyrie. So, like, that's really – I think it also depends on how much of a part of the movie story is. it. And in the case of Rapunzel, I thought, you know, yeah, it's – it's an important part of the story, and I think like you know they devoted at least two massive high budget cutscenes to it, so I think that's that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think I, I don't think this uh, this necessarily relates to Sora and Kyrie's relationship, and you know diluting it. I think if anything, it's it's better. You know, uh, you know, even in past Kingdom Hearts games, you know, Kingdom Hearts two you know, a lot of the romantic scenes in that, and there were tons of them, you know, it, it pretty much every Disney world that had a romance, there would always be a scene where that romance scene would happen. And then Sora would blush or, uh, Donald and Goofy would joke uh, about Sora. It's like, Oh, that's just like you and Kyrie. Oh, are you, are Sora, are you blushing? You know, stuff like that. So, you know, you also got to remember these kids. I mean, Maybe it's less hard to believe uh, these days, and especially if you're coming from a Western perspective, and the fact that Sora is older in this game. I think he's 16 in this game, so maybe it's like harder to believe. But at least in Japan, when it comes to romance, just watch any anime. How often in a, in a boy's action show do you see romance i mean they're usually it's usually there but how is it portrayed it's usually portrayed a lot more shy i mean yeah they'll have like fan service and actual raunchy stuff in it but in terms of like romance like i love you you love me we're a happy family you know it's kind of like like like, like i mentioned before with shonen like when you take for example naruto like there's yep glimpse of you know shy romance stuff but like exactly occur to the very end where and that's the key word there. Shy. Romance in Japan is shy. Yeah, they're and not I'll just like... tell you, as a junior high school teacher in Japan, I can tell you that is 100% real. Romance here is shy. People are too shy to talk about it. It's not talked about. It's not addressed. I had to edit a presentation I did about... Uh, I did a presentation about Christmas and New Year's and I had to edit it because I had a picture of people doing their New Year's kiss and it's something that we show all the time and it was a screenshot from like ABC and they're doing like uh, the New Year's Rock and Eve and they're kissing and you know that's normal for us it's normal like it's just a part of our culture you know on New Year's couples kiss like it's normal you know Valentine's you know we have things like dances and prom and we go on dates and stuff like that it is very hard for me to talk about that stuff in my school because for one the teachers will be like oh no that's too much and then if I do end up getting it through and showing it 
they they get too shy. I just did a lesson about Valentine's Day and I showed them this video of these uh guys going out to girls randomly in a college and they would like sing romantic songs and then hand them a flower. And then I asked the girls in the class I'm like, "Okay, what do you guys think of this? Is this creepy or is it romantic?" You know, I wanted to I, you know, I was just doing a poll like, "What do you think of getting hit on randomly?" And I didn't get any answer. No one raised their hand for either answer. I'm like, there's two options. They're not wrong. They're just your opinion. They didn't want to respond. And then the teachers were like, the teachers had to force them to answer. It was, it was really weird. So just, you know, from personal experience, romance in Japan is very shy. It is different from us. So I think if anything, what we're seeing here is a difference in perspective. So maybe maybe for us in in America, Flynn and Rapunzel getting a hug is very tame and not enough. We want a kiss, and we didn't get that kiss. Sorry, but that hug is very strong here. So that's just you know you, you gotta you gotta know what territory you're working with here. Definitely. So. So I think that pretty much wraps up that question. Our music for this episode is another cover of Face My Fears. Now, this one is very special because this one comes from Marie. And I've told you guys in the past, if you've if you've never listened to a music segment, if you've ever cut out of a music, music segment, if you never, ever didn't decide to listen to a music segment, don't make that this one. Marie is an actual professional musician. She does like uh, professional music for TV shows and stuff like that. She happens to also be a Kingdom Hearts fan. She is amazing. She is a professional musician. Her stuff is always good. And not only that, let me just say, I haven't even heard this yet. I haven't even heard it yet. And without even hearing it, I already know it's good. And that's, that's why I'm confident in putting it in. I will listen to it when I edit this podcast. But I just know... She's perfect. She's amazing. Great musician. Go to her YouTube channel, Marie Music, on YouTube. She's awesome. She's got cover of Simple and Clean, Sanctuary, and now Face My Fears. She's awesome. I really hope she also does Chikai and Don't Think Twice. Uh, please, Marie, if you're listening, Chikai, Don't Think Twice. F- finish the fight. You got to do all the Kingdom Hearts theme songs because you are so awesome. The Kingdom, Hearts the-, the Kingdom Hearts community cannot live without you finishing your fight. Thank you. So anyway, moving on to our uh, outro, the next Kingdom Hearts Union is scheduled for the 5th of March. As always, if you guys like the uh, Final Fan- uh, if you like Kingdom Hearts Union, please subscribe to Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union on the iTunes store. Just search for Kingdom Hearts and we're number one. Yay. And of course, you can catch every episode at KingdomHeartsUnion.com or Kingdom Hearts Union's Twitter, which is at KHUnion. And... Uh, just remember, if you guys want to support us on Patreon, please support us at patreon.com slash ffkhunion. And if you want your questions answered on the next episode of Kingdom Hearts Union, just go to khuquestions at gmail.com. Uh, just w- want to say out there, we've been getting a lot of great questions. Just want to be clear that 
we can only really talk about questions as we talk about the story. That is to say, if you're asking something about the secret ending or the epilogue or the ending, we'll get to those questions at some point. But that some point is going to be when we get to that part of the story. So if you've if you submitted any questions that are further in the plot, then we can talk about. I'm sorry, we can't talk about them just yet. We'll talk about them later when we get to that part of the story. Uh, if you want a question answered more quickly, uh, please ask stuff about uh, you know either earlier in the game or about stuff we're going to talk about in the next show. Uh, next show will be Monstropolis and Arendelle, so Monsters, Inc. and Frozen. So if you've got any question about that or the uh, main plot, stuff related in there i know there's stuff like the replica program we didn't talk about that's in this part of the story vexen defecting and all that and you know there's a lot of stuff in there that happened during these two disney worlds that we didn't talk about but if you want to ask a question about that you can answer you can ask that in uh in a question in an email so yeah anything that you want us to talk about that we didn't talk about about early parts of the game or stuff that's going to happen in monsters inc or frozen that you want us to talk about please send us your questions to khuquestions at gmail.com all right Cheryl, it's that time again it is goodbye time oh boy so Cheryl, it was a long show today it was a long show but you know what (laughs) It's not as bad as the last one. The last hey. one, man, it was like two hours. Oh well, I was I was uh in Burbank in the rain. Oh yeah, meeting Bill Farmer, Quint- Quentin Flynn, and then Erica Hollacker shows up. Yes. Oh yeah. And then Paul St. Peter shows up too. The voice of Zemnis. Oh yeah. Good old Zemnis. So yeah, we gotta get Eric- we gotta get Erica back. I did not know she was the girl on top of the pole or top of the pillar. Yes. Oh man, and she's and I think she's another character too, but I can't remember which one it is. But we, we, need we to gotta get her, get her back, back on but, the show. Yeah, I was now now that she's officially a Kingdom Hearts character, I have an excuse. We it, it's we didn't need an excuse before. We didn't need an excuse before, but now we have an excuse. Yes, <laughs> we got to get her back on at but, some point. Maybe, yeah, maybe so... when we're done with the the full review of Kingdom Hearts three, we can bring her in. That would be so fun. So, but yeah, uh, I didn't realize the last show was two hours. <laughs> it okay, so so we we did imagine doing all of this, and then immediately after that, Sabby and I went into a full on spoiler cast about everything in the thing, and we it was it mostly turned into let's talk about the secret ending. That's how it turned into that. It was God, mostly because Sabby <laughs> Sabby literally had just finished. So yeah, that's that's why. Oh, we'll we'll do another one of those. Uh, the game plan now is let's get through each of these um, regular discussions. And then for the final episode, it is no holds bars, spoiler cast on everything. And by that point, the Ultimania will be out. And, oh, we didn't even we didn't even talk about some of the news. All right. Last minute news. This is the last minute news segment. I just want to say congratulations to the Kingdom Hearts team. Y'all sold... Five million copies. Congrats, guys. That's a, huge, that's a huge accomplishment. That's a huge accomplishment. And that was what, within like a weekend? Yeah, that's like a couple of days. Five million copies. That unprecedented. As they said, this is the fastest selling Kingdom Hearts game. And Kingdom Hearts as a series 
has always had what they call in the business a long tail, which means unlike other games that they'll sell a lot right at the beginning, but that they won't continue to sell. Kingdom Hearts is one of those series that they just keep selling and it just keeps selling and selling and selling and selling. Maybe obviously not the same rate as when it first releases, but it's, it's one of those series that just, it, it keeps selling, you know, every holiday, you know, and on top of that, you got to remember, we haven't even talked about, you know, sales or discount days or times where it'll be on sale, you know, for various holidays or whatever. Like this is just full retail price sales, 5 million copies. That's crazy. So big, big shout out to the Square Enix team. Huge congratulations. So proud of you. You know, I I I I kind of feel like Churro in a way, a, a little bit hipstery. Like, where were all you people when we've been suffering through Master Xehanort and all of this with the birth by sleep and the dreamed up distance? I've been here buying the game every time. Where were you guys? I have a little I've bit been of that, right but i with you buying the game, but, buying the consoles for them. Yeah, but I'm also uh, I'm also kind of welcoming. Welcome home, my pro- my prodigal children, my prodigal sons and daughters. Welcome back into Kingdom Hearts, where you belong. Dude, dude, I've been doing this podcasting since, I think, but I believe 2010. Yep. Here we are to, in 2019, oh and, like, God. this is my first, you know, episode post-Kingdom Hearts 3. This is your second, but this is my first. Yeah. This is crazy. Who would have thought that, you know, it would have taken, you know, like that long to do, you know, a, a I, podcast episode. I know. I'm just so, I am so glad that there isn't, I'm so glad that backwards time travel doesn't exist. So I can't go back and tell myself that it's going to take that long. I don't think I could, I don't think I could have taken the wait. We, we've taken the wait too long, but I know we are. Now we're talking about the game. Not really yeah, here's you know, eventually we're gonna get into what's what's to look for in the future of this series. Exactly. Here's hoping it's not that bad of a wait next time, but we'll see. Yep. So uh anyway, I, I think that uh that pretty much covers it. So Churro, say your goodbyes. Bye guys, thanks for tuning in. Um always appreciative and we'll see you in the next one. And I'm Brandon saying goodbye. This has been a KingdomHeartsUnion.com production. Should I take a deep faith? Should I take the lead? Taste what a bit too sweet. Oh my, oh my life. Let me. Think. Ooh
Watch me cry.